Hi, everybody. We wanted to do a, I guess, special episode of Thanks Bud. Not really. It's more like it's not the weekend, but we felt it was more important to record right now because, of course, there is the news that people have been talking about all day related to Slava Voinov's arrest and domestic violence. And um, we also have been following it and thinking about it. So we wanted to take some time to acknowledge it here um, neither of us had time to sort of write about it earlier today, so we thought we would take some time to talk about it right now. I'm here, and Diane is here. Uh, I guess the first thing to sort of go through are what the details of the situation are, as far as we know right now. Lieutenant Joe Hoffman of the Redondo Beach Police Department released a statement um, around noonish or a little before noon today. And I'll just read it to you because I think it's important to read it exactly as they wrote it. It says... Last night at around 11.25 p.m., the Redondo Beach Police Department received a call on our business line, not our 911 line, from a resident in 800 block of Avenue C concerning a woman screaming and heard crying. An exact address of where this incident was occurring was not provided. However, officers did respond to the area and were unable to make contact with anybody. A short time after that, at around 1 a.m. this morning, the Redondo Beach Police Department received a call from the Torrance Police Department concerning an adult female that was at a hospital with an injury that was possibly in need of law enforcement. The injury possibly being the result of a crime that was what prompted a law enforcement response, and that was, or and that possibly the crime had been committed in the city of Redondo Beach. Redondo Beach police officers responded to the hospital and made contact with the victim at the hospital and determined that a crime of domestic violence did in fact occur in the city of Redondo Beach. The suspect in this crime was also present at the hospital and was taken into custody at the hospital and transported to the RBPD. That suspect was booked on a charge of 273.5 of the California Penal Code and was held on $50,000 bail. He was subsequently bailed out at around 9 a.m. That person is, of course, Slava Voinov. Um, the California Penal Code says that any person who willfully inflicts corporal injury resulting in a traumatic condition upon a victim described in Subdivision B is guilty of a felony and upon conviction thereof shall be punished punished by imprisonment in the state prison for two, three, or four years, or in a county jail for not more than one year, or by a fine of up to $6,000, or both by fine and imprisonment. Uh, because Voinov did make bail, this, his arraignment is December 1st, so he has not actually been charged. He was just arrested on suspicion of felony charges, and the case could, or the charges, the whole case could be dropped before then, but if it isn't, December 1st will be the day where he's possibly formally charged, or they will at least decide if that's going to be the case. This was news that I woke up to this morning, and of course it was completely disappointing. I actually woke up and I had both an alert about it and then a message from Diane. So I, I don't know actually what time you woke up, Diane. What did you see? When did you see the news about Buena? Um, I woke up at 7 and just saw a slew of tweets just being like, I, I just saw a, a couple of tweets mentioning Varlamov and Voinov in the same sentence, and that is never a good thing. Um, so as I, like, tried to backread it, and eventually I finally ran across, um, you know, statements regarding his arrest, and that was just disappointing to hear. The worst thing to possibly wake up to, um, I will say, er, just you know, early on for us, uh, it was reported that the victim requested confidentiality. So we will not be talking about um, anything more than what the police have said, really. And they have not released a name or the exact nature of their relationship. There have been people on the internet who have speculated, which actually 
it makes me so mad. Um, all you we know is that it was a female, and that's all we really need to know at this point. Yeah, everyone who is just blithely, you know, retweeting her name, her age, where she's from, all of the circumstances, please stop doing that. Yeah, I, there were a couple of publications too, written publications yeah. that posted a picture of Voinov, um with a woman, and you can you can try to assume, but you shouldn't. And so it is completely unethical also to post a picture and imply that that is the woman that is being discussed. We don't know for sure. And also when this person has requested, again, confidentiality. When questioned about it, the lieutenant also said that there was a child present in the home, but not at the hospital. There have been no reports that the child was involved in any of the abuse of the abuse or anything like that. But there is a child involved. We do not know where any of these people are at this time. Uh, and that was like another horrible thing was, of course, people posting pictures of Slava Voidov's house in Rodano Beach. And that was unnecessary, If no, especially if nobody was there. So why would you do that? It was that? the dumbest tweet, too. Just like, oh, here's his house. He's got no blinds and he has a nice pool. What is the purpose for that type of reporting in a situation like this or ever? There isn't one. And I think for me, what it indicates, too, is just sort of how little people understand about how important safety is. And why would you I mean, I would hope, of course, that nobody in Los Angeles would harass this woman or go there. But I think if you have both, here's a picture of the place that you're looking for. Here's an approximate location. Also, here's this person's name. And then a CBS local report also, they blurred her face. But I mean, there was enough to sort of get an idea of what this woman might have looked like. And I thought that was unnecessary too. It's very important for this woman and her child to be safe. And it's impossible to do that if we're constantly sharing information related to this incident and her life. And so it was extremely upsetting and disappointing to see even like news outlets, like let alone like random people on Twitter who don't get it, but actual news outlets too, sharing this information. Like, don't do that. It's usually the time, like the weeks and the months after the abuse comes out. I think Stace, uh, based from Battle of California, might have said this, that is the most damaging or like harmful, I suppose, for the victim. And this is part of the reason why all of their information just gets thrown out there in the wild for, you know, anybody to kind of investigate themselves or abuse or harass based on, you know, whatever dumb opinions they may have. And first and foremost, the safety of the victim should always be paramount. Absolutely. Yeah. And we've seen and I understand like the curiosity we're all curious human beings, like especially when we hear something that's sort of tragic or salacious or whatever. We want to know details, but it's very important to remember that there are actual people involved here, one of whom, um, at least one of whom, who has to worry about the safety of herself. We've seen a lot of reactions. I mean, we touched on them a little bit, but we'll get into that a little more later. So a lot of stuff going around Twitter and whatnot that made me really uncomfortable and I think is important to talk about with domestic violence issues and whatnot in our country. Some of the biggest ones that we saw were like people using, of course, these sort of innocent until proven guilty claim, which that doesn't mean what you think it means. <laughs> it doesn't work the way you think it works. And so, uh, it, yes, uh, I think um, Langley from Jules from the Crown wrote it best in her post that, you know, it's a legal maxim, but it shouldn't have any bearing on how we respond as human beings. And there is 
or people like to use sort of the excuse of like, oh, remain objective. But remaining objective when reporting something about like domestic violence or anything serious like that does not mean pretending that like it's either he did it or he didn't do it. That's not really what the issue is, especially when like plenty of research about domestic violence around the world, not just in the United States, overwhelmingly shows that victims are in fact telling the truth most of the time. Um, that these crimes get underreported. Yeah, and to claim objectivity and just sort of being dismissive about all of the facts of the case, like, we as people are not a court of law. Like, people forget that that's the end part of it. Um, So throwing that around, it's just, I feel like people mix that up a lot, like they mix up like, oh, it's my First Amendment right, or what have you. Um, You don't really get what that means and how it only pertains to, like, official venues not you personally or public opinion i suppose right yeah and i think we sort of forget especially because the majority of people who are going to be looking at news about this and commenting on this are people who are fans of the nhl and fans of hockey we're all a community here and specifically for us kings fans as well like it's okay to remember that we don't actually represent this team or this league or slava voinov personally so it's possible to have a discussion that's like it's very likely that he did this. It's even if later, you know, no charges are filed. It's possible to have a discussion about that without, you know, just being like, well, condemn him forever or whatever or whatever dumb reaction people are worried about when they're afraid of expressing the opinion that they he probably did it and they're not okay with it. I don't really see what the whole point is. My opinion probably also is not going to have that much of effect on his career. And in cases of domestic violence, fuck his career yeah you know like this this shit does not matter at all like that should not take precedence over like oh how is he going to come back from this how is you know if charges are dropped or something like that or how you know how will this affect his career how will this affect the kings the cap you know what have you none of it matters none of this matters these are people I think for me, too, like, even the whole concept of, like, how does somebody come back from this? I don't think of it in terms of their job. I think of it in terms of as a person. I would like Slava Voinov, somebody who I did uh, enjoy watching play hockey and someone who I liked rooting for. Like, I would like him to figure out how not to be a person that um, commits violence against his partner. That's, That's what I would like him to come back from, is being that person. So... That's what I'm concerned with and not necessarily, oh, I hope he can play defense in the NHL again, because that's not what's important here. I would much rather him be a stand-up guy rather than be a Norris-winning asshole. And also another thing about that is just because if he's technically proven innocent, that doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't do it. Like, let's, let's all make that very clear, because... You know, in criminal cases, you need a very high standard of evidence and in order to, you know, convict a person. And that may not happen. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen. They just can't prove it as well as the courts would like. So mm-hmm. that's why it like it doesn't matter if the evidence is there. If you see it, you can have an opinion on it. It's OK to be like, I think he's scum and he did this. Um, I did spend some time today just sort of looking up some statistics or whatever, because of course people start throwing around facts and things, but I wanted to see if I could find some of the most recent numbers. So I ended up looking at the Bureau of Justice 
statistics, uh, which is governmental. Their most recent things are both a report on non-fatal domestic violence, which looks at a period from 2003 to 2012. And then they also have a intimate partner violence um, research or study in particular, which looks from 1993 to 2010. As for non-fatal, which is an important word there, violent victimization, um, annually they estimated that 6.6 million people have faced violent crimes, basically. And so this is also like actual things that have been reported. And always it's important to say that these things go underreported, even in a country like the United States. Um, and 14.6% of those instances are committed by an intimate partner. So the 6.6 isn't actually all domestic violence. It's just violence committed against people. Um, most of it, over like a little for, over 50%, is actually committed by people that um, the victim knows. Um, but 14.6% is intimate partner violence. And that includes ex-spouses because it's also important to remember that 70% of violence against women happens after they leave. And that's another reason why not speculating on the identity and not releasing a bunch of information about a person's life is so important because even when they leave, they are not yet safe in a lot of cases. Of course, like there will be people like, oh, but what about men? Yes, Intimate partner violence happens to men as well, but overwhelmingly it happens to females, 76% to 24%. Um, and that's from that 2003 to 2012 period, which again is the most recent sort of period that they have information on. So in terms of gender, we're focusing on women because it happens more against women. And so I think that's also something to keep in mind when talking about this, because we also want to refrain from sort of derailing the conversation and trying to like pick out little things that we can have honest questions about, but shouldn't use sort of weapons to take away from what happened to this woman and what is happening with Voidoff and now affects the organization, uh, the NHL, like fan community, like all of us. Um, and kind of like going along with that in terms of like happy, it happening a lot to women, not only is the fact that she's a woman important here, it's the fact that she's, you know, potentially, possibly the significant other of um, an NHL star or like a sports figure, a major league sports figure. And with everything that's come out with the NFL um, and all of the things that happened there, um, now that there have been NFL players that have been convicted and things like this, there have been a few more women that have spoken out um, about domestic violence, particularly as the wife of, well, in their case, someone in the NFL, but I, I feel like that can, you know, obviously go across across sports. And how, like, the league is very much a tight-knit fraternity culture. And you see that all the time in the NHL saying that it's an old boys club. And so as a, like, as a wife or as a girlfriend or as, like, the woman, you get, um, there's a quote here from um, an NHL wife that I think she stayed anonymous. Um, you get brainwashed. It's so ingrained that you protect the player. You just stay quiet. You learn your role is to be the supportive NFL wife. Um, and so, uh, and you keep quiet. Otherwise you'd lose him his job. Like that's kind of another reference in that if it's been reported, if she, you know, it's likely that he's done it. You don't falsely report things like that, especially as the, the wife or girlfriend of a, of an athlete. Yeah, I in a lot of the statistical research that was done, a lot of the numbers are collected based on women who 
report having experienced domestic violence or intimate partner violence or any sort of violent victimization in their lifetime because it's much, much, much less likely for women who are currently um, experiencing abuse to report it. So that's why, like, a lot of the studies that you'll see are about, like, long-term things and a lot of information doesn't come out until much later because it's very hard for people to come forward while it's still happening to them. Um, and then, of course, it takes a long time for people to sort of cope with what's happened to them and feel comfortable talking about it even afterwards. So, And, I mean, I guess yeah. as long as we're speaking about the NFL right now, let's go ahead and mention that all of the comments about the NHL being gr- better than the NFL because of their swift response is asinine. <laughs> like, Ugh, that's, that's silly. Um, let's go ahead, and I'm just going to read a nice little quote from NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman. So, I'm not sure for us there is any need for any code of conduct other than our players, who overwhelmingly conduct themselves magnificently off the ice. We deal with it on a case-by-case basis. I don't think we need to formalize anything more. Our players know what's right and wrong. And as I said, we have the mechanisms in place to hopefully not get to that point. I don't know about that right and wrong thing there, Gary Bettman. Guess what, Gary? (laughs) We're here. It's Where happened. are those mechanisms? I hated we that quote. Them. I hated that quote when he said it because right before it, what he does is he talks about how like, yeah, you know, they've they've talked about whether or not or how they would handle situations that happen like in the NFL with domestic violence or like the child abuse charges. They say they've talked about it. They say they have codes. They say they have counseling programs for all of their players. And then that sounds really great, right, on the surface. And then he totally undermines it with these comments of like, but I don't think we'll need it. A, there was already a case that everybody knew about that had happened before this comment that he made that the NHL did not report on much at all and tried to leave up to authorities as if that was entirely necessary. Semyon Varlamov played like the next day after being arrested. B, I think it just sort of signifies like how exempt not only the NHL feels, but like people tend to feel in general like, oh, yeah, that happened to them, but it won't happen to me. Like, that's not true. It's not true. And um, I I just guess I'm just going to be a quote reading machine because I kind of, uh, Dave Loza wrote a thing for the Bleacher Report that kind of summed up a lot of what I thought very, uh, very well. And it was, it said that it's essentially stupid for praising that the NHL, or it's irrelevant in that praising the NHL for acting in a more proper manner to a similar situation than the NFL is like praising us someone for not being the worst possible human being on the planet. You don't get credit for that. You don't get credit for making the only decision a human being should make in the wake of receiving this information. Um, Yeah, the NHL did essentially the bare minimum of what they should be doing in cases of domestic violence. They indefinitely suspended him. He's still getting paid as per the um, Players Association or the CBA, I suppose. Um, So everyone calmed down about the NHL being better than the NFL. It's also not like the situation is over. They still have plenty of time to fuck it up. (laughs) So let's not applaud them just yet. It's only been like 24 hours. Yeah, not Not even. even. (laughs) Not even 24 hours. So yeah, let's calm down on that. And also, I don't think it helps anybody to try to separate leagues or whatever and act like this all isn't happening Um, I mean, obviously, the NHL extends into Canada and whatnot, but the majority of the teams are in the U.S., so it significantly involves the U.S. and what's happening here. And whether it's in football or hockey or any other sport or not involved in sports at all, it's all an issue that 
collectively is a stain on all of us, I think. And so I think it's stupid to try to compare how one business entity handles it over another, because I think there's no point in rewarding anybody doing it better, because I think we shouldn't look to reward being decent people. Yeah, pretty much. That actually, that actually to me sort of ties in with another issue I've sort of had which I don't think is a major issue because I think a lot of it people just don't talk about the way or just don't think too much about the way they phrase things necessarily. But like when people talk about being a good person versus a bad person, I don't think only bad people do shitty things. I don't think you have to be like a fundamentally rotten egg to do something shitty. First of all, like the CDC and the World Health Organization considered domestic violence and family violence and all of that, like whatever subcategory you want to place under that, uh, a public health issue. Like it's not just like, oh, here's a shitty thing that people do. It's a public health issue because it affects people mentally. It affects um, if sexual assault is involved in, or if the physical violence is serious enough, it has actual repercussions on like reproductive health. Um, you know, there's depression to deal with. There are other injuries that could be long-term. It's not just sort of like this isolated thing of like, well, if you're a fucking monster, this is how you behave. Um, I think it's entirely possible that people who are or who would consider themselves good people can do something like this and i think it doesn't help any of us to act like if anyone we think is quote unquote a good person would be sort of removed for that or incapable of it i don't know it it separates things in a way that doesn't feel right to me well absolutely because on the flip side you know bad people can do nice things one doesn't completely negate the other (laughs) you know what i mean like it's not I think it also, yeah, like it makes us feel like, I mean, I think it's another way also that we try to distance ourselves from it, which is, I don't, which just sucks to me because I don't want to remove myself from the situation. And I mean, and another instance of that is like you mentioned, like people mentioning uh, Varlamov and Voinov in the same um, tweets and whatever, like articles and stuff. And, And something that that sort of like, rolled over into after a while was people sort of implying that it's a Russian problem because the last two sort of big stories we've heard about this have to do with Russian players. And there are people who are like, oh, you know, but even if you you don't want to generalize in that way, I don't, I think it's valid to say that Europe or Russia has a bigger problem with domestic violence than like the United States or North America. Okay, first of all, that's not true. Here is something if you want to talk about differences, that is true. Russia currently does not have the basic legislation in place to designate domestic violence itself as a crime. So in order to get someone brought up on assault charges or anything, it is even more difficult than it is here in the United States. And because there's not enough legislation or a lot of focus on it yet, they the reporting on it is, it is even sketchier or spottier than it is here as well. However, um, the World Health Organization, WHO, did a sort of global study to keep, and it's from 2013, it's called Global and Regional Estimates of Violence Against Women, um, to get an idea of how much violence, uh, physical and sexual intimate partner violence um, among women worldwide, or internationally, globally, that number is 30% of women who have ever had an intimate partner say that they have experienced physical and or sexual violence. The Americas, the region of the Americas, and that includes Canada, the US, 
all the countries in South America, Central America, of course, is the second hot, like second highest in terms of people reporting partnered violence and at 30%, which is sort of average. Higher than that are um, African, Eastern Mediterranean, and Southeast Asia regions have 37% of women who have ever had an intimate partner saying that they have experienced visual, physical or sexual intimate partner violence. Um, the prevalence is a little lower, they say, in a high-income region in the Americas, which they consider the United States a high-income region. And so the amount of women who report it is 23%. Um, but compare that to Europe, which they also say is a little lower, at 25%, and they include Russia in that. So that's the difference. If you want to talk about how much more um, violence women possibly face in Russia, they, the research shows that that number is approximately 25% in Russia compared to 23% in the United States. It's not that fucking different. So we can't get like self-righteous and high and mighty about it because we're kind of all in the same space of shitty. Uh, also, to kind of add on to that, um, for the longest time and still in a lot of areas, domestic violence was considered a family affair. It was considered something that you right. dealt with, not with the police, not with inf law enforcement, but back home, you know, with your family. So people would regularly get turned away, mostly women, but, you know, men, I'm sure, too, um, and say, oh, go that, go work that out at home with said significant other who you've just reported is abusing you. Like, that's not for us. That's a family thing. You guys deal with it. That's not for us to step in on. And that has been the case in the United States for the longest time. It still happens in in a lot of places. And I know, uh, at least from personal anecdotes of friends, it definitely happens a lot in the rural South. Um, so don't think that the U.S. don't uh, is all high and mighty and, you know, better. Um, it's still pretty dismissive of domestic violence. Yeah, I mean, both of us, I mean, it's no secret, we've talked about it, you can see pictures of us online if you look for such a thing. Both of us are minorities, um, and I can definitely say that I know from experience from, like, black Americans, whatever, people I've known, been around, that a lot of people are still, like, very religious. And also, as we have seen with other types of, you know, tragic headlines or whatever, minority communities don't necessarily trust police very much so they're much more likely to go to like their pastor or something but religious communities a lot of times not all of them but a lot of them will encourage people to like you said handle it internally or to you know pray or you know if you're like instead of telling them you need to get out of the situation it's like you guys just need to work it out because god wouldn't want you to divorce or, or whatever the reasoning is and so i think um that's why it's also an a not a different issue, but an even more complicated issue for minority communities, especially religious minority communities, because they don't, they're much less likely to seek out help because they don't think that they should. Uh, yeah, in kind of a, I mean, the Asian communities is kind of the same way in terms of religion, but also because of the whole, you know, women were always inferior. They were always a step down and you never said anything bad about, you know, your husband or anything like that and you were just meant to stand there and be demure and um submissive and so speaking out about any sort of violence is like not that it never happened but it was very unlikely as well and it's just like an ingrained thing in a in a culture and that's just speaking to like a larger problem about um having avenues to speak to people about domestic violence which um, kind of going back to talking about Gary Bettman um, and saying there was, like, counseling and things like that. But I, I feel like, did he say that it was counseling for just the players? 
that's the impression I got. Um, that they have, they try to educate players. I would hope that that also extends to like anybody working for the NHL, but I don't know for because sure. Because I, I feel like it's, while um, it's very important, I think it's possibly more important to have counseling and all of that available for the families. Like I know that the NFL has started to do that, but um, it's kind of, there's not a lot of options. Like, I, I don't think it's, like, widespread enough for a lot of people to go to. I don't think it's mandatory. But, like, are does the NHL have a thing where, you know, they can talk to the families of NHL players and be like, hey, regardless of, you know, who your partner is, who your husband is, um, how good he is, how much money he gets paid, what a star he is, you can come to us and talk to us or like these are if you don't want to talk to us here are your local law enforcement people that will speak to you and help you like because it feels so like i feel like there's not enough communication maybe to the families to have a safe avenue to kind of speak out about it so it's just going to continue absolutely and i yeah i think that's really important i wonder that about the nhl in general like they mention it um, and not to take this in too much of a tangent, but I feel like that was something questions were sort of raised about that in regards to like drug abuse with like Derek Brugard and whatnot, where it was like, oh, yeah, we have drug programs and we don't have a problem with like performance enhancing drugs. But it was like this dude was able to get a lot of prescription drugs from a lot of doctors and nobody stopped him. So it makes you question how effective any of those programs that they have set up at le- were, at least at the time. I would hope that they're a lot better. And then similarly, I hope that they have continued to improve the resources that they have for other incidents and other problems like domestic violence or whatever else. Uh, but also coming back to the sort of talking about, oh, it's a Russian thing, like I and us talking about like with minorities and stuff too, I think that's why it's important not to resort to sort of othering the things that happen or we don't want to push people away because A, um, that kind of isolation only helps abusers and doesn't help to solve the problem. Uh, and I, I think that is clearly like the most important point here. Like we want to protect victims and we want to prevent future instances of domestic violence, whether in that particular family or other families. Um, and then also as a community, we don't want to send that message to other fans where we say, well, if you want to leave, we're not going to believe you. And it's also not our problem because it doesn't happen here. It's probably just happening to you. Like we don't want to imply those things. So I think it's important not to try to push it aside and be like, damn, Russia has a problem. Like, no, it's clearly a global problem. And it is also a problem here in the United States. We should not try to chop things up that way yeah and as you know unfortunate as it may be from our prior you know opinions or thoughts about whenever what have you um i really hope that none of this gets swept under the rug um i hope none of this like it's not a you know a big shot lawyer comes in and everything just kind of floats away um and that you know no one i don't know i hope something is done with this because it's I mean, I think it'd be a good example to see that justice would be served and not just, you know, money and men in sports winning out. Right. Exactly. And, and and horribly, the attorney has already said, at least according to like the CBS local report that I saw, where they said they had talked to him on the phone and he was like, yeah, I don't think there will be any charges. Like he's already said that. So 
that is completely disheartening. Not because I think that punishment is necessarily the most important thing. I am much more of a person who believes in rehabilitation being the biggest um, win that you can have. But I feel like, A, it's less likely that someone will be sent to a rehab, you know, sent into counseling or whatever without some sort of court mandate. And that thus it's more likely that nothing will happen. And so he could perpetuate again. Um, if if this woman is not removed from the situation or is unable to get out of the situation that she will be hurt again, um, that she won't get any help at all because she needs support too. And like, she needs to be told that there are people there for her. What I hope is that those counseling programs and stuff that we've heard about do work and that they're good and that they do extend to both uh, the victims and also to trying to teach um, or to break the cycle for abusers. And I hope that the King's organization specifically, which we have all like sort of swallowed this narrative about how much they love each other and support each other and support all of the families, like that that stays true and that this woman is supported by that organization. I mean, I know it's very unlikely that we'll hear details about that specifically, or anything like that, but I hope, I have to hope that they do the right thing there. I don't necessarily have a reason to trust anyone in this situation, but I do wanna, like those are my feelings on it, is I want people to not disappoint me in their response to this, um, because I think there is a lot to learn from it, and I think there is an opportunity to, I don't know, make a, a good difference here, but it starts with us, of course, acknowledging that it's happened, and then not forgetting that it's happened just because someone is not convicted. Yeah, it's kind of disheartening <laughs> as we talk about it to know that we, because I have the same opinions and that I don't know if I trust anyone to do the, you know, the quote unquote right thing. And I know that we are both bracing for official responses and what kind oh of things God. that people will say. Yeah, so that's kind of a, a comment on the greater <laughs> idea of what people think about domestic violence and how it's oftentimes just disregarded. Oh, yeah. Just thinking about like how much worse this could get, um, it, it just uh, makes me feel so disgusting. And so, I, I mean, we'll see how it unfolds, obviously. I hope, I hope, um, I hope that I don't have to feel shittier and shittier about the league, about the franchise, about this particular situation. Um, not even because it's necessarily just about my feelings, but just because, again, like, I don't want to live in a world where, A, stuff like this happens at all. And then even when it does happen, people don't respond to it in a way that strives to correct uh, the wrongs here and prevent future stuff. I just, I, I'm tired of living in this fucking world where shit is shitty all the time and people are horrible to each other and we care for five seconds and then move on. I know that people keep uh, saying it, but there, it, it continues to be true. It's like, it's 2014. When will this end? Right. When yeah. will so many of these things yeah. just stop happening? Yeah, that's the eternal question, it seems. Um, oh, I guess the other thing too, because again, I do want to, I want to bring it back to the fans because Again, I don't fucking represent the Kings or the NHL. For me, it's coming at it from a perspective of a fan, of somebody who likes talking about hockey itself and the culture around it. That I do also want to say that for any, like, we don't know who listens to us or whatever. Like, you never know if other 
fans of the Kings or whatever who you're talking to have experienced things like that. I will say also that like even if the media forgets about it or as a community, we don't talk about it constantly. The people who are living in these situations, they have to deal with it all the time. I was fortunate enough not to grow up in a home of domestic violence. However, I can attest to the lasting effects of it. My mom, um, her father was abusive to my grandmother and when they did finally leave, stalked them and eventually committed suicide while on the phone with my grandmother and threatened to before he actually did in order to get them to come back. And my mom and her sisters and my grandmother have been affected by that ever since, like for the rest of their lives. And they are um, happy people now, but it's not something that just stops and goes away. So I think it is so, so important to be compassionate to people, to believe victims, and to seek to help make those people's lives better, and to reform abusers, and to prevent, again, anything else happening in the future. And I think that's the responsibility of all of us. It's not just the responsibility of people's employers or the, their friends and family. Um, it's, I think it's everybody because you don't know how many people are affected by it or who you might know who might be affected by it. Um, and so I, it's, it's just a really important thing to me. I don't think I have any more that I could add to that. All right. So um, as a lot of people have put out there, but I want to make sure that we tag onto this too, there is a national domestic violence hotline. Um, the number for it is 1-800-799-7233. You can also go onto the hotline.org if you are uncomfortable with talking on the phone. I know anxiety prevents some people from doing things like that as well to chat with people online. Um, obviously, domestic violence in particular is very closely tied to um, controls. So be safe about how you access these things if you think that could potentially cause more problems for you, if you know anybody who is in this situation. Also, domestic violence is, a, as usual, not the burden of the victim. So if you know somebody who you think might be an abuser, um, it's possible to call that number, contact those people to ask how you think you could help. Or if you yourself think you have problems with aggression or anger, or um, it's been brought to your attention that maybe that you are acting in a way that needs some attention um, and, you and you do genuinely want to change because that's the only way people do change is if they truly want to, you can also call that number and talk to somebody. And I think it is important for all of us to be proactive like we always say please take care of yourselves stay safe and we will talk to you again this weekend goodbye everybody bye everyone